But I've been trying to pick biblical virtues when it's my turn. Um, how am I going to say this and be nice? I'm trying to pick biblical virtues that maybe I need to work on a little bit, right? I've found the best way for me to understand, to conquer a problem in my life is to study the Bible about that problem and find the answers for myself. And so I thought this week I would do something a little easier. I talked about last week. I decided I would, I would do one on joy. And some of you may remember last week. I was not here last week. I was supposed to speak last week in here. I wasn't here because uh, Tuesday night uh, I had a little problem with vertigo. I had, uh, got sick and you know, went through all that kind of stuff and then was totally wiped out all day Wednesday. So Pastor Wall came and spoke with me. So uh, while I was supposed to be speaking on joy, instead I was in my house throwing up and not feeling very good. And so I thought, well, that's kind of miserable. So then last, at the end of last week, I came back into office and I started studying again on this. I had already written a message, but I didn't like the message. You ever, if you ever done something like that, you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't, I just wasn't satisfied with it. I was, I, I hate to say it this way, but I wasn't happy about it. Some of you know where I'm going now. And so I thought, well, I need to work on that. So I've been working on that this week and I got a little frustrated even this afternoon. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how do you define biblical, what the Bible calls joy, biblical joy in the scripture. And uh, one of the reasons I got a little frustrated, if you do a little New Testament study, you could, Old Testament's a little different, but I, I try to stay mainly in the New Testament. If you do a little New Testament study, uh, you'll see the word joy many times. I know most of you know about the book of Philippians and you know how many times that's mentioned there. Uh, pretty much the same words used over and over in uh, the book of Philippians. And it's used all throughout the New Testament. Anytime you see the word joy, it's the same word. So I, I thought, well, that'll be good. I'll go there. That will define it. Do you know what the, the English definition for the word, for the Greek word for joy is? The English definition is joy. Yeah, that was a little frustrating because I like, well, that didn't help me a, a whole lot. Uh, that was the joy or gladness, I think it was. So I, I had, I, I was trying to define a word with a word. I kind of felt like I was talking to my kids. Uh, some of you know how it's like when you have, you have kids and they ask you a question and you try to define something to them. By selling, you know, I'm frustrated. Well, what does it mean to be frustrated? It means I'm frustrated. Well, that doesn't help anything. Uh, so I've, I've been working on this. I, I even looked at a dictionary. I got you a dictionary definition. By the way, there is a handout if you don't have a hand, if you don't have one. Uh, I don't know where my handout man, he's back there. You got some stuff still? I got them right here. Anybody need, you need a handout? We can get that to you really quick. You may have covered everybody, Mac. That would be unbelievable if you covered everybody. Just so you know. Mac is my chief hander outer. Okay, I've got I've got substitute hander outers, but he is the chief hander outer, and yet he's number one. If we get two more guys on as hander outers, I'm going to make him the executive hander outer. He can be uh, number two right there. You can be number two, but I call him number I, two. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> there went your joy, right? So. Uh, I've been working on this definition, so I came up with, I looked in the dictionary first, you know. Uh, I, I have a dictionary handy because I work for Pastor Monty, and he's always throwing out words that I go, what? What? What does that mean? And so uh, I looked in the dictionary. This is a dictionary definition. I think it's a fairly decent definition, but I don't think it's the right biblical definition. The dictionary says this, joy is an emotion of delight or happiness evoked by well-being, success, good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. In other words, having good fortune or having success or having what you desire. Or even you can have joy thinking about 
I'm going to get it. You know, you know how kids are right before Christmas? That feeling of, oh, I know. You know, and they see the wrapping. Some of you really need to work on your wrapping skills. Uh, I was a professional rapper. You could not tell. Professional rapper. That's a new thing today now, isn't it? Uh, you could not tell what, I, what was in the box that I put in it because I'd put weights in it. I'd do all kinds of stuff. Uh, but, you know, kids are all excited about that. Well, that, that's probably, I, I guess in society, that is a good definition for joy. But it kind of leaves a few things uh, left out. Because when I think, uh, I think like James 1, 1, 2, and 3, my brother counted all joy. What? When you get what you want? That's not what it says, is it? Count it all joy when you're successful. Count it all joy for uh, when you have the prospect of, of accomplishing what you... No, it says count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations and trials. So that doesn't kind of match completely what I would call a biblical definition. And so I kept working at that and I looked at the Greek, like I said, the Greek New Testament word. I came up with the, it. Basically, there's only three words you can come up with, happiness, joy, or gladness, which by the way, still don't define it because if you look up the word gladness, you're going to kind of get the same definition I just gave you in the, in that, in the, uh, in the dictionary definition. If you look at the word happiness, same idea. Uh, we kind of throw all those things into a pot and they kind of mean the same thing. Whereas I think the biblical definition of the word then has to come from not just the word itself, it has to come from the context you find it in. And all through the New Testament, you're going to find these contexts. Well, here's, I started out with this. I started out with a virtue that can be demonstrated by an inner sense of peace and gladness. Because sometimes joy is not on the outside, joy is on the inside. Circumstances may be bad, trials may be there, but there's a sense of peace and gladness inside. Uh, I've seen people, and, and, and it almost sounds contradictory to somebody who's not a Christian, I've seen people joyous at a funeral, right? Because there's an inner sense of peace and gladness to have. But I think it's also uh, an outward expression of happiness and rejoicing. I think that both of those are in the Bible. I think there's a sense in which it's this inner sense of joy, uh, uh, peace and gladness. But it's also that outer sense where you're rejoicing. They rejoice at the birth of a Savior. They rejoice when people got saved. And so there, there's a little bit of both there, right? I, I think it can be either or, and I think it can also be both. Uh, sometimes, you know, I've been in crowds where everybody's excited but some of people don't look excited, but they are. I am not, I am not, you probably know this already. I am not this guy. Oh, 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 oh. That's not, that's just, that's Pastor Ryan. That's not me. Okay. You, you're just probably never going to get, if some, I know some of you, I know you people, some of you have been waiting for the Sunday morning where I get up. I'm, I'm doing, you just keep waiting. Okay. If my hand comes off of my knee and I clap a little bit, that's it. You, you missed it because that will happen. I, I don't express joy that way. I express joy differently. I'm more of a quiet type. I don't, I don't get excited about a lot of things. Uh, I, get, I get spontaneously excited sometimes. Last night I was at a soccer game uh, for my uh, one, two, three, four, fifth granddaughter. And, uh, and uh, they won the game. Bethesda won a soccer game last night, if you didn't know that. Uh, they were in the uh, regionals and they... They took a two-to-one lead, came back. The other team came back, and it ended two-to-two. Went into overtime, two-to-two. Went second overtime, two-to-two. Went to a shootout. Oh, it was a. It started at eight o'clock last night, by the way. Yeah. So if I'm a little tired, you understand why. <clears throat> so I went to a shootout, and we won the shootout uh, three to. I think three to two. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, I mean, it was just barely. But when that happened, 
uh, I have an Apple Watch. Anybody knows what happened to my Apple Watch? My Apple Watch said I must have fallen down. <laughs> because I jumped and I smacked the, the, the bleacher beside me and I was like, yes! That was my excitement. That, that, I hope it doesn't do that. It just did that again. <laughs> I gotta quit doing that. Uh, but I threw my arm so hard. Uh, so sometimes I will get excited, but most of the time I, it's more of an inner thing. And I think that's, that's probably a more accurate definition. And I think that's because, uh, which is the next little line there. Oops, went too far. Joy is, a, joy is an emotion that arises from an acknowledgement of God's mercy and grace. Amen. If you really think about God's mercy and grace, if you're truly a Christian and you, under, and you, you know for a fact that you're saved, you understand, you understand what Christ did for you on the cross and through his resurrection. If you really start thinking about that and you're not and something isn't alive inside of you, there's not some uplift for, to that, then something's wrong. I'm, I'm serious. There's, I think something's wrong. So it, it's, it, it arises from that acknowledgement of God's mercy and grace communicated to us by the pardon of sin. Amen. I mean, in a sense, I think when I say that, you should be smiling. Aren't you glad, aren't, aren't you joyful that God pardoned your sin? Right? Amen? Uh, but for the pardon of sin, the power of victorious Christian life, I know if I'm walking with Christ, if I'm staying daily in, my, in the Bible, if I'm yielding to the Holy Spirit and not to the flesh, I can live a victorious Christian life. Now, I'm not saying I do it all the time. I'm saying I know that, and when that happens in my life, how many, of you, how many of you experience a little bit of joy when a temptation comes, fleshly temptation comes, and you consider it, and then you reject it, and you move on and don't fall for it? Isn't that a joyful thing? I, I don't know if you, it is for you, but for me, there's a sense of satisfaction, there's a sense of peace and joy, this gladness in my heart that I didn't go there. By the way, when I do go there, the opposite thing happens, right? Joy is diminished. Okay, so look at the definition again. So joy is the emotion that rises from an acknowledgement of God's mercy and grace communicated to us by the pardon of sin, the power for a victorious Christian life. And then there's something else, right? It's not just in this life. It's not just that my sin has been pardoned. It's not just that I have the power to live a victorious life. But what happens next? What if all that fails? What if, you know, our worst fear comes and, you know, communists take over? Or the government continues to go in the direction it's going and things get worse. Or what if I, you know, don't look at when I pull out of the driveway tonight and somebody hits. I'm not worried. Right. I don't worry. I no longer worry. And I, I can literally say this. I no longer worry about eternity. Doesn't even doesn't cross my mind. I worry about uh, rewards in eternity. I worry about uh, my works being tried by fire. Whew. That's going to be ugly. Uh, but uh, I don't worry about where I'm going to be in eternity. And there's a sense when I think about the pardon of sin or the power of victorious life, or I think about the prospect of eternal life, that increases joy, right? That brings that emotion about. And even though if everything goes wrong in my life, I know that in the end, I win, right? Because I, Christ was won the victory for me. So I think that's a good way to look at it. Uh, there's some other good definitions. I like this definition. Joy is a positive uh, emotional response. Joy is a positive emotional response produced by faith in God regardless of the circumstances. And that's kind of a general definition, but I think it, it kind of says what I want to say. Uh, in other words, I'm going to have the right response whether I have good, response, good circumstances or bad circumstances. Now, by the way, I'm not saying... I'm not saying that joy doesn't ebb and flow, right? 
I get, a, I get the picture sometime when I'm talking to people about joy that they have this idea that Christians should always be up here, right, emotionally. We should always be, oh, isn't God good? And isn't God gracious? And isn't life wonderful? Okay, that's not what we're talking about. That's, that, that's uh, silliness. I, I don't know what you call that. But no, I'm talking about there's a there's emotion that happens within my heart that keeps me calm and glad all the time, no matter what happens. And like you, some bad things have happened in my life. Uh, I got saved all the way back uh, 50 years ago, and, uh, 1973. And in those 50 years, you know, and I, even if you don't know me, you know that some things went wrong in my life, right? That, that, I live in a sin-cursed world in a sin-cursed body with a bunch of sin-cursed people. Things go wrong. I'm not always happy about them. And my, so my joy sometimes ebbs and flows with that happiness, but why does that happen? And that's what we're going to look at a little bit tonight. So a couple of other good definitions. Joy is produced by what is, is happening around us, or it should be. It's not produced by what's happening around us, but rather it's produced by what has happened within us. I like that. That's a good definition. It's not, my joy should not be dependent on everything out here. By the way, if you're a Christian, can I tell you something? If your joy is dependent on the circumstances, if your joy is dependent on what's happening around you, you're not going to have any joy. It didn't take it didn't take but a minute. I got up this morning and uh, uh, came in the front room and turned the TV on while Becky was fixing a little breakfast there and uh, went to fix my coffee. And I turned around and I listened. I made a mistake of listening to the news for about five minutes. How many of you know that did not help me in the area of joy? I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Uh, I just. I, I am so thankful. I, I live in Danville now. I used to live in Indianapolis. I, I am so thankful I'm not in Indianapolis. I know Danville's, you know, we have the same kind of problems, but in a much smaller way, right? People aren't getting shot every night and people aren't riding. It's just crazy. Uh, but if you live, if you think I can live in this world and the circumstances are going to determine my level of joy, uh, that's going to be a problem, Right. So joy is not produced by what's happening around us, but rather by what's happening within us. Uh, another good def- definition. I, this is one, kind of one of my favorites. Uh, some of these I wrote, some of them I looked up. Uh, joy is a logical consequence of faith in God. Now, that's a simple definition, but that has a deep theological truth to it. I mean, look at it again. It is the logical consequence of faith in God. You, you can kind of say it this way, right? The greater your faith the greater your joy. Would you agree with that? So the more I understand who God is and the more I learn to trust him and the more I put my confidence in him and the more I believe what the scripture says, the more likely I am to be a joyful Christian. Now, let me just say something. It bothers me and it should bother you. It bothers me when somebody's been saved like me for 50 years and they have no joy in their life. That, that kind of makes me wonder. Now, I, I, I'm not a fruit inspector. I can't judge. Uh, I can only see what's happening on the outside. I don't know what's happening inside. And there are times, there are times at, for Christians, there are times that you will experience sorrow, right? You do understand that. Your wife, your husband may die. You, you may have a child, that go, a child that goes away from the Lord. By the way, for me, that would be the, that's the heart. Uh, I expect people to die. I know that sounds, my kids and my grandkids hate me to say this, but it's true. I expect people to die. Right. I know that sooner or later I'm going to die. I've had this conversation with every one of my grandkids and they all hate me when I start. They go, oh, Grandpa, don't say that. You're never going to die. No, <laughs> someday Grandpa won't be around. If Christ doesn't come, right, 
Someday, Grandpa, and they don't like it. So I expect people to die. I also, unfortunately, at the same time, expect people who listen to the Word of God, who grew up in church, who claim to be saved, to do the right things. Now, I'm not talking about in every little area, but in a general area, I expect if you, came, if you lived in my house and I gave you proper Bible knowledge and you read the scripture and you accepted Christ and you went to a Christian school and all these, you had all these advantages and then you still choose sin, that, that hurts me. That's, that's a painful for me, Right? There's no greater joy than here that my children walk in truth. I want to see, I want, I, everybody in my Sunday school class knows my prayer request. We, we, Becky and I pray it pretty much every day. Uh, and I, my prayer, I have eight grandchildren, two children, eight grandchildren. And I pray simply every day for eight for eight. That is my prayer. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, I want to see eight of my grandchildren, not only saved, but I want to see eight of my grandchildren surrendered and serving the Lord by their own choice. Not because granddaddy did or our dad or mom did, but because they made that decision. That is a big prayer request for me. By the way, you're welcome to join me in that prayer request for my, kid, my grandkids. Um, and so I understand the idea of sorrow. Unfortunately, uh, boy, how can I say this? Unfortunately, with eight grandkids, the odds are not in my favor in this world. Right? But in a sense, aren't they? No matter what the world throws out, I've got God on my side. And hopefully they've got God on their side. If they have, then the odds are actually in my favor. I mean, you look at it. So you understand that that's a, so the greater faith, the greater joy. Now, I think maybe I should say it this way. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Uh, Change that to the greater your faith, the fuller your joy. The fuller your joy. Uh, Because that is more the Bible word, Right. Now, there is an understanding in the Scripture, and especially you'll see it in the New Testament. You'll see it also uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, David wrote about it uh, in, in Psalm 16. Uh, there's, this in, there's this concept in the Scripture of your joy being full. You guys heard this before, right? You've heard that phrase, right? Uh, the fullness of your joy or that your joy may be full. Uh, we'll look at some Scriptures here in a second. So there is, if, if your joy can be full, and Paul prays for that, uh, and John prays for that, and Jesus talks about that, if, if, that your joy may be full, I'd have to say then there must be points where your joy is less than full. Right? Or why would we be praying that our joy would be full? Am I making a good sense here? Are you still with me? So that's what I want to talk about tonight, this idea of fullness of joy. So how do we get to the point, sometimes... Our joy is not full. Sometimes I don't know. I don't know how you measure joy. I don't know how God looks at it. Uh, but sometimes our joy may be at a quarter tank, right? And you know you need some more joy. Don't you? Don't laugh. You you drive a car. How many of you drive a vehicle? You see the needle going down. When it gets down, I don't know where you are. Mine gets down a quarter tank. It's time. I'm, I don't ever let it get to eat. That's that's not going to happen. I don't. I'm just weird like that. Unless there's you know I've been driving forever. But yeah, if a quarter tank, it's time to fill up. I think sometimes spiritually, we're like that. And I'm wondering sometimes, why do we wait until we get a quarter tank or a half a tank? Why don't you want your joy full all the time? Right? So what is it that fills that up? Uh, look at some scriptures here. I, and I, I brought them down so you, you can follow along with me if you want to. Uh, John, I, I'm just going to read them real quick, just so you get the idea. So Jesus talked about that in John 15, verses, uh, verses uh, 10 11. He said, if you keep my commandments... You shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment, and abide in His loves. These things have I spoken to you, that, you might have, that your joy might remain in you. Again, listen, look at me before you go any further. That your joy might remain means what? 
Is there a possibility of your joy decreasing? Well, obviously, right? I'm telling you these things that your joy might remain and more than that, and that your joy might be full. Okay. now I don't know where you are tonight, uh, but I'm assuming that in uh, near 100 people tonight uh, in this room anyway, uh, I don't know how many is in the men's room. and I don't know how many is in the one and all that, but in here about 100 people. Okay, I'm assuming that among 100 people. I I think I'd be crazy to think that 90 uh, that 90 of you people are at 100 percent full. Right. Uh, And I think if we had if I had a raise of hands and don't don't raise your hand. How many of you think, uh, you know, I'm not only not 90%, I'm not even 50%, I'm like 20%. I don't even know if I'm, I could, it, it happens like that, right? Sometimes your joy doesn't remain, and sometimes it's not full. There's a key to that in that verse, we'll come back to that later. Hey, he said the same thing, by the way, Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 16. He said this, hitherto have you asked me nothing in my name, ask and you shall receive, ask and you receive, why? He, he tells you. That your joy may be full. You keep seeing that. You see the same thing uh, John talked about in First John chapter one. If you want to flip there real quick, real quick. First John chapter one verses uh, one through four says this: That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon our own hands and handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show this unto you that eternal life, which the Father, uh, which was with the Father, and manifested unto us. I'm going to stop there. Just I, I, I included all those verses because I want you to understand what he's talking about. Go back to that, that first definition. Go back to your top of your definition. Remember that good definition I gave you? Uh, joy is the emotion arise from acknowledgement of, of uh, God's mercy, grace, communicated by the pardon of sin, the power of victorious life, and this prospect of eternal life. That's exactly what he's saying in those verses. We've seen this. We know this is true, right? You, you, you have evidence. You, you walked with him. You talked with him. You know what he has done for you. And then he goes on. And the next verse, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that ye may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you. Why? Well, you already know what it's going to say, right? We're looking at the same phrase, that your joy may be full. Again, he says, he says it again in 2 John chapter 1, verse 12. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. David said the same thing in Psalm chapter 16. Thou will show me the path of life, and in thy presence is the fullness of joy. So I'm not talking about... This concept of joy that maybe the world has and maybe a lot of Christians have, that this happiness, this giddiness, this all the time glad, nothing ever depresses me. I'm talking about the concept, the this biblical virtue of joy that has peace and gladness, even in the worst of circumstances. And, and again, even in the best of circumstances. OK, there's a level to that joy. I think is, I, if I haven't read enough scripture for you, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but there's a level to that joy that I believe is obviously ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's not retained. Sometimes it is retained. Sometimes it's full. Sometimes it's half full. But that joy level is constantly moving in our lives. Now, if you're like me, I hope you're like me on this one. If you're like me and I ask you, where would you like that joy level to remain? I, I'm greedy. I want it to be full. I don't like 20 percent. I have lived. I have I have been in the ministry uh, and I have been uh, going through some trials and difficulties in my life and took the wrong path and didn't trust God and put my faith where it should have been in. Put my faith in people or circumstances or my own abilities and my joy level dropped. You know, if I had to give it a percentage, 10 percent. 
And that is a miserable way for a Christian to live. Why would you want to do that? So, now with all that in mind, was that, everybody with me now? You're still with me? This, this, this is what I was struggling with in my office all day. How am I going to present this? I got to this idea of fullness of joy, but then trying to present it. I don't know if I presented it well enough, but okay. Uh, that word full means exactly what you think it would mean. I, I love it when I look up words in Hebrew or Greek, and they say, you know, you look up a word and it says uh, full. What does full mean? It means full. Oh, okay. Well, that, that helps me out a lot. But it means complete, abounding, or to the top. Full. What, I don't know whether that is the same as the English definition of the word full. Would you agree? It is full. It's complete. It is abounding. It is to the top. We put some barrels out in the four years tonight. Uh, our class, the Autorum Bible class, is trying to raise some, uh, do some things for the Good News Mission. We're, rate, we're bringing boxes of cereal. So if you see big boxes of cereal, I had a lot of people ask me Sunday, what's with all the cereal? It, it's, for, it's not for you. Uh, we're not having a big breakfast. It's for the Good News Mission. So I want to see those boxes full. What do I mean by that? I want to see them to the top. I don't want to see them half. I want to see them to the top. So when we're talking about full, that's what we're talking about. Are we to the top? So what are some hindrances to joy? I think you probably know this. One of the great hindrances to joy, the great, in my opinion, uh, Psalm chapter 51, David's confession, is unconfessed sin. Now go to Psalm 51 for me. I'm going to read a couple of things. I want you. I want you. I, I know you've read this before, and uh, I just told somebody in my office today we were talking about this, and I said, you know, 95% of the time when I'm preaching to 95% of the people, I'm not telling them something they don't know. That's really not my, that, that. That's part of my job, but that's not the biggest part of my job. 95% of the time, I'm preaching to 95% of the people to tell them that what they already do know, and say, and basically end with saying, and so are you doing that? Really? I mean, think about it. That, isn't that what happens every Sunday? You don't come in every Sunday and all of a sudden learn some spanking new thing that you never knew about the Bible. Unless Pastor Monty is preaching, then maybe you will. Uh, but most of the time, we're, we're reviewing the same things, uh, unless we're a new Christian, we're reviewing the same truths. And all the pastor is trying to do is get you to say, hey, 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 do you believe this? Yes or no? Yes, I believe this. Are you doing this? No. Then start doing it. Make a change. That's, that's what we're doing. Pastor Ryan preached uh, Sunday night, and with all his emotion and enthusiasm, boy, that boy, he is going. Uh, all he was saying was, hey, don't you know the truth? Are you living this truth? And that's what I'm saying to you. Don't you know that your joy should be full? That's what God wants for you. Is it full? No. Then what are you going to do about it? Well, one of the hindrances of joy is this. Psalm 51, you should be there now. David's confession, uh, his prayer to God after his sin with Bathsheba, he, it says this. Uh, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me, uh, make, uh, me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Keep reading. He's already mentioned in verse, what is it, verse 7? I just lost my place. Oh, verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Now, remember the definition? How was the New Testament definition of the word joy? 
joy and gladness, right? So he's talking. What do you think's happened to David when he sinned? He's lost that, right? You've all, you've all if you're saved, you've, you've experienced this. I may not lose my salvation. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I believe that's a biblical concept. I believe that's a biblical doctrine. But I can definitely lose my joy when I sin. And David had lost his joy. When he confessed that sin, look what happens in the next verses. He talks about that in verse 8, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face not for my sins, blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Look at verse 12. We're talking about this fullness of joy, right? What does he say? Restore what? Restore the joy. In other words, fill that back up. So one of the hindrances, one of the reasons, if you're, if you're at 10% or 20% or wherever you are, one of the reasons probably, likely, most likely, and always likely in my case, is unconfessed sin. There's something in my life that I have not decided to confess to God and get right. Now, I know you don't want to hear your pastor saying there's some things in my life I haven't confessed to God and get right, but I've got to be honest with you, that happens. Uh, happens to you too. Now, I'm not saying that's the situation with you, with, with, that your joy is lower, but I'm saying this, that's the first area I'm going to check in my life. That's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to get on my knees and pray and say, God, I don't know what's going on, or God, I do know what's going on, and I'm asking you to forgive me for it. I don't know how many times, I, it doesn't take God, I don't know, with me, the Holy Spirit <laughs> seems to act very quickly. If I, if I really don't know, and I ask, I say, God, what have I done? Is there something that I need? To? It's like the Holy Spirit goes, yes, and here it is. I get quick downloads from him. I mean, he doesn't mess around with me. And, and I think that's good, I'm glad. Uh, but when I get that right, I know what it means to have my joy restored. Amen? It's almost like, it's the same thing with any relationship. Uh, I, Becky and I have been married for 47 years. And uh, there are times that uh, my relationship with her needs to be restored a little bit. And I'll be honest with you, I don't like it when it's not at 100%. I don't like living with somebody who's not happy with me. Right? I, I don't like the feeling. I don't like, Becky, Becky does not gripe and complain. She's not kind of, Becky will kill you with the silent treatment. That's her, that's her, she is really good with that weapon. She's a master of it. Uh, and and if, if silent treatment doesn't work, she'll throw in a lot of sweetness. She's, she'll be quiet and she'll would you like me to fix you some supper? And I want to feel like I can't say yes because you're mad at me and I don't, I mean, you shouldn't do things. I can't wait to get that, that relationship restored. And so I'll quickly, you know, confess and say, I was wrong. I learned to say that, by the way, years ago, guys. And there are times, and she'll do the same with me. Why don't we do the same with God? Why, why would you want to live with a God? Why would you want to have a relationship that's not full of joy? I want that. So think about that. So it might be, it might be unconfessed sin. Uh, the second great hindrance, the second great hindrance to joy is taking the wrong view of God's chastisement. We're studying in my Sunday school class, we're studying through the book of Hebrews. Please pray for me. I'm in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, uh, the, uh, the order of Melchizedek. Anybody know where I'm talking about? Oh, that is a tough, there's a thousand, there's, no, I shouldn't say it. There's two main ways to interpret that. And 
before Sunday, I've got to determine which one I really agree with. I thought I had one, you know, when I learned in Bible college. Now I'm questioning that and it's kind of. But when we get to Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, you know what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. A great passage of scripture. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 5. The Bible says this. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is him whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, uh, whereof are you partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers over flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the father's spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. No chasing for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, right? Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which exercise their right. Wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down at your feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest the lame be turned out of the way and let him be healed. So here's the deal. Uh, I think a lot of times my joy, and I, I guess I'm looking at my own life and trying to go from that and what I see in the scripture. In my own life, my joy is decreased when I go through chastisement for my own sin. When God is trying to get me to repent and trying to get me to confess and I am fighting it. And I look at God and I think this, I think God is not doing right by me. You ever felt that way? This is, this is not right. This is not what's happening. I, this shouldn't happen. Can I tell you something? This one is never a pleasant experience. Or by the way, it shouldn't be. I get worried when parents make discipline pleasant for children. Uh, I'm not saying you should beat your children with a stick and, you know, send them to bed without supper. But discipline shouldn't be pleasant. It should, it should have a sting to it. If you take away the sting of sin, the child will sin again. Okay. Uh, and, and I believe there has to be some sting to that. There, if, whatever, if you're taking something away, it has to be something they love. If you're removing a privilege, it has to be a privilege they really want. You know, uh, nowadays you tell your kid to go to his room and, you know, he's got a computer in there and he's got all kinds of games in there and he's got a phone in there. He can call his friend. It, I don't know how that's punishment. My dad was much more creative than that. My dad was a workaholic, still is, uh, at 91. Uh, and a lot of, some people in this room know him, you know, I'm telling you the truth. My dad was, let's go outside, we're going to do some stuff, and you're going to help me, and you're not going to get to do what you're going to do, you're going to help me out in the yard. And South Carolina son, when I was a kid, that was a, that was a pretty big punishment. But it was good for me. And I think sometimes we look at God's punishment, and we don't take it good. I think, I think the key... Um, the key to retaining your joy in the midst of God's chastisement is to remember what verse 6 says. Look at verse 6 again, okay? Just think about this, okay? Verse 6 says this, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Two things you need to remember in in chastisement, right? I don't have it on there. Uh, Number one, God loves you. God loves you, right? He wouldn't, the fact that he's dealing with you is proof that he loves you. Uh, you know, I, my dad said it to me, you know, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And, and that is true. Sometimes I don't like, I, di- I didn't like, uh, I have to be honest with you, I didn't like disciplining my children, but it was necessary. There's times I wanted to let, you ever feel this way? I want to let them get away with that. 
I don't want to draw that to attention because if I draw that to attention and if I make a thing about it, then I'm going to have to punish them, which is going to have to make me be creative. And I'm going to have to think. So I'm going to have to go out of my way to do something positive to help them. Good. That's for their, that's, you know why I, do, I did that? Because I loved them and I wanted to see how they would turn. God loves me that way. God is not going to allow me to continue in my sin and continue in my own way. There's a way that seems right to a man. And if he allows me to continue in that way, what's going to happen? Right? There's a way that seems right to men, but the ends are of the, uh, the ways of death. I will destroy myself, and because he loves me. But there's another thing in that verse that really hits me good. Not only does he chastise me because he loves me, but he chastises me, which is proof that I am his son. I'm one of his. And I think sometimes we look at the chastisement of the Lord, we look at what we go through, and we don't trust God in it when we should be saying, praise God for it. Amen? Uh, here, here's the third thing. I got to go quickly. I'm going to run out of time. Hindrances of joy. The third great hindrance of joy is the mistake of making your joy dependent on the success of, uh, should be your works, not our works. Your works, not his work. Okay. Uh, look at Luke, Luke chapter 10. An interesting little passage of scripture. Some of you know what happens. Uh, first part of Luke chapter 10. Uh, he sends out the disciples and uh, I think it's 70, uh, 72, right? Uh, yeah. 70. Uh, by twos. That's the, uh, so he sends out the disciples, right? And they go out and they're highly successful in their ministry. And they come back rejoicing. I mean, they are excited. And it almost is like they're excited and Jesus kind of says, calm down. It almost is like he's not excited about it. Look at look, verse 17 when they come back. And the 70 return with joy. By the way, should they be excited about what's happening in the ministry? Yes. But keep thinking, think about this, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. And I go, what? If I was a disciple and he said that, that first sentence, I would have went. Hey, we, we're, we're, we're going out, we're preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. Uh, people are being healed. The, the devils are even subject to us. And he says, I, I beheld Satan falling from, as a lightning from heaven. Wouldn't you expect him to say, that's wonderful. It's great. You're doing what's right. That's not what he says. Uh, Keep reading. Then he says this. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy. And nothing by any means shall hurt you. Notwithstanding. Stop for a second. Notwithstanding. And this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. If you've ever worked in the ministry, here's something you need to remember. I I wrote it down. Make sure I get it right. Success is not the grounds of joy in the ministry. Now, it may bring joy, but that's not the grounds for your success. Why would I say that? Why would I say as a pastor or as a Sunday school teacher or as a bus worker or as an Iwana worker, success is not the grounds for your joy? You don't know? What happens if you're not successful? What happens if the kids reject your truth? What hap- if you make success the grounds for your joy as a parent, what happens when you do right and your kids don't? By the way, your kids, even if you do right, I know a lot of parents don't understand this. If I live, if I live the perfect example, which I didn't, but if I could live the perfect example and I taught them perfectly, they still have a free will and they may choose to sin. Right? So success is not the grounds. Jesus said, you know what's more important than your success? You, you know what you should be rejoicing? You should be rejoicing that your name is written in heaven. It's not because of your work that you should be rejoicing. It's because of my work. That's always going to be the grounds because sometimes your work is not going to be successful. 
Sometimes you're going to preach a sermon like I'm doing tonight and going all over the place and people are going to be, what in the world is that crazy man talking about? And it won't be as successful as you think it's going to be, but that's not the issue, right? I don't, I don't judge success by what happens. I judge success by what has happened, okay? And so I have to do what's right regardless of what happens in the end. I can't look at the work and say, well, our church, we're, we're, if, you, if you look at it that way, for a while, for quite a while, our church has grown. Amen? Last three years, uh, I wouldn't say it's doubled, uh, but uh, we went from averaging probably 425, 450 in the old building. We came over here. People started coming. People are growing. Uh, we're seeing great success, in that, uh, if you want to look at it that way. And now we're running 600, 650, sometimes 700. Isn't that successful? Well, we don't know. I really don't know. You say, but the church is full. For what reason? What are they coming for? What are they getting? What's happening in their hearts? I can't see that. I can't judge success on my work or my numbers or how big the offering is or what's happening. Now, I'm looking for all those things. Those are markers for me to at least I'm kind of going in the right direction. But what happens if, if I was still preaching and doing everything I was supposed to do and Pastor Monty was and all the other pastors and, we were, and the attendance was going down? No joy in that, right? It should be. Right? You see what I'm saying? That, that's one of the things. So let me go to the next thing here real quick because I'm going to run out of time. Uh, let's talk about some helps to joy. Well, if unconfessed sin is a hindrance to joy, number one, should, you should know, right? So what is the number one? What would be the number one thing you need to do uh, to help you regularly confessing and forsaking your sin? Regularly examining your own life and being honest with yourself and being honest with God. Uh, This afternoon I came in here and I put some stuff on the pulpit and I went to walk out. The auditorium was dark and I went to walk out. I'm thinking about the message tonight and something came to my mind. It's not your business, so I'm not going to tell you what it was, but something came to my mind that I had done. It uh, wasn't a major thing, but it was something anyway. And I, I, I was standing right here, and I put my, my uh, notes here, and I put my uh, little tablet up here, and I got about this far, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit said, you're going to preach that tonight, are you? Boy, oh boy. And I thought, well, yeah. And this, this circumstance came to my mind, and I thought to myself, yeah. If I'm going to preach a message about it, <laughs> I had to come back I, over my own pulpit and Get some things straight. I, I think sometimes we're losing that. I, 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 it bothers me. I grew up, I grew up in, in the, you know, like I said, I got saved in 73, 70s and 80s in, in Baptist churches, and there was a lot of church growth at that time. But the churches I was in, when we had a gospel invitation, I don't mean hundreds of people came and got saved, but people came to the altar not just to get saved. People came to the altar to get Right. Now, I'm not saying you can't confess it in your seat, and I'm not saying you don't get right at home, and I'm not saying that. But it does bother me when I see less and less public confession, contrition, sorrow for sin. Um, I think that's a problem. And if it's less and less public, I think it's probably less and less private, too. I, I, you know what David said? Look at, look at, go back to Psalm. You, you were in Psalms. Well, go back to Psalms 30, uh, 32. I don't know if I got time for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Psalm 32. You guys won't mind if you're a few minutes late, will you? They always ask me, by the way, on Wednesday night, are you going to have a song service? Are you going to do this? Are you going to have announcements? I'm like, nope. You give me an hour, I get, I'm going to take an hour. And so, sorry. 
that's what's going to happen. Psalm 32. David said this, uh, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, right? By the way, what is the biblical, you know what the Hebrew word blessed means? What's a good definition for that? You know, happy or joyous. Yeah. Okay. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How many of you remember, how many of you remember uh, when you got saved? How many of you remember the day you got saved? I don't mean, I don't mean the date. I mean the act. You just remember the day. Okay. How many of you remember uh, I felt like Christian at the foot of the cross, you know, Pilgrim's Progress. How many remember when the weight fell off? You know what I mean by that? There was that relief, that joyous feeling of, I'm going to heaven. How many of you remember that? Okay? All right. That's what it's talking about. So that, that blessed is that man whose, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence... When I, when I did not confess, when I did not forsake, when I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring, uh, through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, my hand was, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. And then there's that little biblical word, selah. It just means, you know, that simply means stop and think. Think about what I just said. When I don't confess my sin, when I don't get it right with God, my heart is heavy and my joy is depleted. And I think probably somebody in here tonight needed to hear that. I think that's maybe where you are. Uh, look what he says, by the way, at the end of the chapter. Go, to, go down to verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, ye that are upright in heart. Quite a difference from the first part of the psalm and the second part of the psalm. When that confession and that forsaking has taken place, what happens with that? Fullness of joy again, Right? You see it. Okay, let me go back. So regular confessing uh, faith. Boy, uh, number two, rehearsing the truth that God, that, that God is faithful and good. I have to remind myself of this all the time. You know 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that way you're able. We will with the temptation provide a way for your escape that you may be able to bear it. I have to remind myself all the time of the simple truth. I don't have to yield to sin anymore. When I was in my flesh and on my own, the power, the sin had power over me. It had, if you want to uh, use a uh, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7 word, it had dominance over me. It had dominion over me. It controlled me. I always think of that in basketball terms. When I played basketball, I was a forward. And uh, if you came in the lane, my goal in the lane was to take dominance over you. I put my body on you. I'd walk you out the lane. I met pretty big boy. And so uh, not anymore. 6'2", you're, you're runt anymore in basketball. But I was, uh, I was that, that's, and that, when I think of that, sin just kind of controlled me. I try to go and sin, I had no power in me. But with the Holy Spirit's power and through the power of the word of God, sin no longer has dominion over me. Amen? Now I have to remind myself of that truth all the time. I also have to remind myself of Romans eight twenty eight. right? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are called according to his purpose. By the way, his purpose is defined in the next verse, right? To be conformed into the image of his son. God didn't save you. Steve Currington used to say this. God didn't save you to make you a better you. God didn't save you to be you at all. God saved you to be like him. Got to remind myself of those truths all the time. Um, I mentioned this the other day, and you know my definition of trusting God, right? Trusting God means believing God is good, believing that God is doing good, and that God is working for your good, right? Do you believe that? 
I guarantee you I can ask the question. I asked it a while back in a message. Is God, if I asked the question tonight in this auditorium, is God good? 100% of you would say, yes, God is good. If I asked the question, you believe God, if God's good and he's doing good, you'd say 100% God is doing good. It amazes me how many people will fall, fall apart on the next part. Is God doing good in your life? Well, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> well, yeah. The first two can't be true. The last one has to be true if the first one's true. You may not see it for your good, but it is. My kids did not always, you won't believe this, but my kids did not always see what I was doing for them was for their good. When I said, you cannot go to that kid's house. In fact, I don't want you hanging around him at all. But I like you. You just ruined my... Nope, I'm not ruining your time. I'm not hurting you at all. I'm helping you. They couldn't see that, right? They're too immature. And I think a lot of times that's where we are. We don't see God for who he is. We don't remember the goodness of God. We don't believe that he's really doing what's right for us. And we have to remind ourselves of that truth. Here's another thing. Here's the third thing you need to remember. Remembering to take the long-range view of life. Flip over to 1 Peter. Actually, I got it right here in my notes. I hadn't been using my notes. I probably should use my notes. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Here's what Peter said. Blessed be the God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You notice every time you read these passages when it comes to joy, right before that, there's always this information about the death, burial, resurrection of Christ and your salvation and what God has done for you, not in, only in this life, but in eternal life. You're always reminded of that. Have you noticed that in these passages I've quoted? So I've read, uh, so he says that, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through the wisdom, through the faith unto salvation, wherein to be revealed in the last day. Wherein? If that's true, wherein what? You should greatly rejoice. I think a lot of times I struggle, and I think you do too, I struggle by taking the short-range view of life. I get focused on the temporal, and I forget about the eternal. You'd think that a pastor would not think like that, but I do. You know why? Because I get hungry today, and I need things today. And it's hard for me to focus on what might be tomorrow. I've, I've said this to my kids growing up. I said, you know, even if, once, you, once you're saved, once you know for sure you're saved, you, you understand the gospel and you've put your faith and trust in Christ. If everything in your life from that point on falls apart, if every bad thing that can happen does happen to your life, if you are eventually murdered in the street, you still got better than you deserved and you still will have heaven. And I sometimes forget to think that way myself. But isn't that the truth? I mean, for 50 years, I, I obviously, none of those things have, none of those, I haven't been murdered in the street at least. Uh, some bad things have happened, but nothing less than I deserve. Nothing more than I, I would have deserved. And sometimes I forget to look at the long range. I forget to think about what eternity is going to be. Just the concept of eternity is just a little too much for my little pea brain. You do understand that, right? Uh, there's too many things in the Bible. There's a lot of things in the Bible that a finite mind cannot literally comprehend. I can explain to you all I want to and as much as I want to. Uh, the Trinity, you won't understand it, right? You, you still don't. You, you, I believe it because it's a biblical doctrine. But do I completely understand God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? No. In fact, I say this. I've said this to people before. I believe if I could, under, if I as a finite person being, if I as a finite being could understand the infinite, I would be infinite. 
Think about that for a minute. Some of you just went, what? Okay. I'm not, my brain is, can't, I can't understand eternity. And so sometimes I don't think that way. I think in time increments. I was born in 1956. That's a time increment. Uh, tomorrow is my 67th birthday. That's right, I'll be an old man. I guess officially I was an old man at 65, right? Where's that guy that came in from the mission tonight? There was a guy, I don't think he's in this class. I think he went to Faith Recovery. They brought in the barrels, and one guy was carrying a barrel, and I grabbed the other barrel, and I started dragging it. And without thinking, this young man said to the other guy, hey, don't make the old man carry that. I want that guy's name, Shannon. Don't make the old man carry that. Anyway, he, was, he laughed, and I laughed, and I knocked him out, and it was fine. No, I did not do that. Uh, but my point is, I, I think in those time increments, I, there was a time when I was young and now, you know, okay, I'm old. I'm not ancient, but I'm old. And I think like that. Biblically, that's not how we're to think. We're to think about the long range and what God's done for us in eternity. We can't even compare eternity, uh, a day in eternity, if there, there's not such a thing. But even if there was, we couldn't even compare that to our entire life. It's It's ridiculous. And we get this short range of, and we think, well, God's done not doing me right. Hey, God sent his son to die for you and save you. And if nothing else happens good in your life, you ought to thank him. Your joy for that alone should be full. Amen? One more, one more thing. I, I'm about running out of time here. Our hope, our joy, our peace, they're all connected to a faith in God. I, I like this. Romans 15, 13 says this. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing joy, peace, and faith, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Your joy is going to be full as you put more faith and trust in God. I, I think I, I, I love to see it the other way when older Christians have, still have joy in their life and they lose members of their family because they know this. Joy is deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of a person who knows all is well between himself and God. Happiness, I, I like that. This is, I think this is, that's a quote from a song, uh, an old uh, Christian song. I couldn't find the song today. Happiness happens, but joy abides. My joy, look at me, look at me. My joy may ebb and flow, but it should never be gone. There's always a reason for me to have joy. It may be at 10%, it may be at 15%, it may be at 75 but there should always be joy. And if there is no inner joy, inner gladness and peace in my life, I check my salvation. I'm not trying to make you feel like you're not saved. I'm not trying to twist anybody's arm, but there's got to be joy. You cannot look at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You cannot look at and get the power that God's given you for a victorious life. You cannot look at the pardon of sin. You cannot look at God's forgiveness. You cannot look at uh, 1 John 1, 9 and not have some joy. Something's wrong. Something's missing if that's out there. Yes, your joy will ebb and flow. I, 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 I get it. But just because it ebbs and flows, don't let it get down to where it's that low. You cannot be a testimony for Christ if your faith is that weak. Confess that sin. Understand what God's doing in your life. Put your faith and confidence in whatever the trial, whether it's super, super high, wonderful giddiness where everything's going your way, praise God. Amen? By the way, that's good to praise God when things are going well. Amen? Not to praise yourself and say, look what I did. I praise God for what he's done in my life. Thank God for his wonderful mercy. Thank God for his grace. Thank God that my children are following Christ. Thank God that this is happening. Thank God that our church is growing. Amen. You should have joy in those situations. But as a Christian, 
as a Christian, regardless if none of those things are happening, your joy still should be full. Your joy still should be full. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. Just taking a quick review of the many blessings we have as Christians. Taking that long-range view and not the short-range view. Quit looking at the world. Quit looking at our flesh and look to you. Oh God, you've been so wonderful to us and so glorious to us. And we thank you so much for your many blessings. And Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that does not understand the true joy of Christian living, I pray that if they're not saved, that they'll come to know Christ tonight, that they'll seek one of us out and let us take a Bible and show them how they can be saved. Well, I think the biggest need tonight is probably Christians here. The joy level is really low. They've let it fall. It hasn't, it hasn't stayed where it should be. And maybe there's some truth in this message that'll help them confess their sin, to get right with you, to look at life through the lens of Scripture and not through their circumstances. And I pray, Lord, that they'll get back to the place where their joy is full. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you are officially dismissed.